hello and welcome to a Burkamp Wonderland. Today we are kind of going to deviate from talking about Arsenal, but today we're going to have, uh, I think, what's called a an uncomfortable conversation um, regarding sports and the kind of racism in, within football. Today with me, I have Drew all the way from America. How are you doing, Drew? Carl, how are you? Femi, what's up? Josh, I haven't seen you in like a day. Definitely been a while. I guess we'll we'll start off with talking about football players in general and just kind of how they're perceived within the media. This week, we've seen uh, the Manchester United captain, Harry Maguire. He um, was arrested in Mykonos uh, in Greece for a numerous amount of things and also found guilty. Now, when you saw this, you would have thought that he'd done nothing wrong at all and he, he was innocent and the way the media or the English media kind of leapt to his defence. For me, it was really, really weird because if that had been another player, just say Raheem Sterling or Wilfred Zaha or Paul Pogba, you just know that the English media would not have been the same. Uh, Femi, when you heard about the news with Harry Maguire, how how did you sort of uh, perceive it? Yeah, uh, good evening. All. Um, I think I think it's, it's like you said, it was a... It was a weird one because I didn't think it was that serious of an offence the way that it was being reported, first and foremost. You know, it's only when you start hearing more about it, you start thinking, hold on, this is a, <laughs> it's quite a serious offence here. And um, yeah, it was it was just strange in terms of uh, the way that the whole thing was, was just unravelling, um, you know, from the day it happened, from the way it was reported, it was like this... Uh, you know the the um, <laughs> the lines of you know he's not that type of guy he's a nice guy with all sorts of things and then the you know the usual suspect newspapers reporting it like the Daily Mail and it was just like wait hold on a minute is this this the I mean it, to be fair I think for me that's the way incidents should be reported but it's not the way that they have been reported if you understand what I mean if if it was sort of the same all across the board that would have made sense to me because you know, you're innocent until proven guilty at the end of the day, aren't you? But it's the sort of the, the, the things that Raheem Sterling had highlighted before from certain newspapers, you would have wanted that, you know, that kind of same balance to be applied in this situation, if you understand what I mean. Yeah, uh, Drew, when the news came out, I mean, I think Femi's kind of right, innocent until proven guilty. But um, even when he was found guilty in a court of law, so they have found him that the crime that he committed, you know, was upheld. They're still led to his defence. Now, by all means, I mean, if it was an Arsenal player, I probably would be the same. I'll probably try and back him no matter what. But I've never seen the English media, like, leap to the defence of a football player the way they did Harry Maguire. Did you find it a little bit strange the way they did it? <laughs> I mean, you're asking the wrong person. No, because this is, like... A very normal thing in the U.S. with when it comes to to race relations with black athletes and white athletes, and I mean, Femi kind of just dove right in and touched on it immediately. It's and he said, you know, innocent to proven guilty, and that's what you would assume. But here, you know, it's very much shoot first, ask questions later. Both in terms of not just things like police brutality, but just in general, general assumptive behavior. It's I'm going to think the worst possible scenario if the person is black, and then when more details come out, even if I'm proving wrong, I won't roll back my thoughts. I'll try to weasel my way out of it instead of saying, you know, well, I was wrong. And, 
you know, here's what actually happened. It's just never how it's reported, right? So when you flip it in the inverse, it's not surprising that instead of saying, okay, well, we got it wrong, McGuire has actually done X, Y, and Z, and he should be criticized as such. It's more of they'll try to find any way to keep his reputation intact. Whereas if it's a black player or even anyone in, in black media or uh, any person who is black, they will always try to find a way to apologize without apologizing and not even consider how that affects that person moving forward. So I'm not surprised that it was handled the way it was handled, either when it first broke or after details came out. We've seen it before. You know, we'll see it again. I don't know how much uh, in-depth you want me to go with it, but at least in this one particular instance, but I mean, you brought up the Raheem Sterling thing where ostracized in the footballing community because he spent X amount of dollars or whatever on a house or, you know, whatever it might be, but and often he's just painted as this free-wielding, kind of like rogue person just because he's doing with his property what he what he feels like. But if someone commits an actual crime, a felony, assaults somebody, they're a, a model professional or whatever it is. You know, I mean, it's always about word choice and, and that paints the picture. So, no, I'm not surprised about it. Again, I'm sure it'll happen again this season at some point. We'll be back to the same discussion because that's usually how it always goes. I mean, yeah, you touched on Raheem Sterling. We'll talk about, I mean, that man, what he's been through from the media is an absolute joke. Um, I was just looking up articles um, about Raheem Sterling and that literally some of the headlines that's been written on, and Drew touched on it, where he bought his mother a house and the newspaper article was, oh, he's being flashy. Like, you, you're rich enough to get to a level where you can afford to buy your mum a house. And literally, the newspapers ostracised you for that. He went to the pound shop to buy some batteries. And the newspapers were on him about going to the pound shop to buy batteries. He took an EasyJet flight on holiday. And newspapers are on him about spending £80 for a holiday. And then he buys a car. And newspapers are on him again about being flashy. Um, buying a, a car. Josh, you don't really see this from newspapers about white people or white football players because you never really see a, a, a brandished headline like that where I, I think to one point where these footballers, they're young and they earn obscene mm. amount of money. So why should they not live that lifestyle? No matter what they buy, even if they decided to buy a, a £500,000 Ferrari, if they can afford it and that's what they, you know, can do, why should they be sort of ostracised for spending their money? Yeah, I, I completely agree. I'm trying to think of the player it was. I think it's Phil Foden who did exactly the same thing but got praise for it from the male. And that's the kind of disparity that you're kind of seeing. And, and what we're talking about is that through the media, you'll see things like, well, I think we were going to go on to talk about it. The three Sky Sports pundits that have been sacked today. What's that? What's their sacking got to do anything with diversity? They, they were shit at their job, you know, and then now this is coming up as a rhetoric of, oh, they're only doing it to, you know, tick some boxes. And it just seems like a very odd way to report. Like it's never, you know, where you've just said that if you look at how, People of colour or, you know, to any minority are reported in the media. It's always as a negative. It's always about this is the problem with them. And then when you see this kind of archetype, you know, middle, you know, middle-aged white bloke always seems to be the victim 
And we saw that from, uh, well, we see the way of reporting. Ian Wright's come out today and said, what has this got to do with race, these three guys going? I don't think you can, it wouldn't stand up in a court of law if you fired people for that reason. I don't think so. But yeah, can I, I kind of throw it back to you in terms of from the, I can't say I speak for all white people in the same way that I don't think anybody can see that you speak for all black people. Of course. It, it's, um, uh, I think when you look at sort of, not just even uh, Raheem Sterling, you look at people yeah. like Paul Pogba and you look at Wilfred Zaha and just, just to name just but a few, yeah. the, the things that they do in the media seem to be highlighted. I remember a few months ago, just when the season ended and um, some footballers were going on holiday and some of them were taking private jets, which you can do. There's no issue with taking a private jet. If you can afford it, I'm sure if all uh, any four of us could afford to take a private jet, they would. But it was Alex Iwobi and Alex Iwobi took a picture of him outside a private jet. Why would you not? You know, you want to sh um, show people what you're doing. And the hate that he got for doing that because they were saying, oh, he never had a good season for Everton, so he shouldn't be enjoying his wealth. Like, what kind of nonsense is that? I mean, if Everton are going to pay him that amount of money that he can afford to take a private jet, what difference does it show? But on the flip side, I think it was Mason Mount did exactly the same thing and nothing. All okay. And, and it just shows disparity between the two that, yes, Mason Mount may have had a better season than... It will be, you know, in terms of goal scoring and performances. Okay, cool. But at the end of the day, whatever they choose to spend their money on, I mean, these, like I said, these young footballers are millionaires at the age of 23. At 23, I don't think any of, any of us were fully mature or even know how to spend their money. And when you've got that sort of lifestyle thrust upon you, of course, we live in a, uh, an era where you can't eat your food without taking a picture. So if you're going to go into a private jet, of course you're going to take a picture and, you know, kind of show off. Why would you not? You can afford to do that lifestyle. But the way people are uh, perceived by the differences just because, uh, you know, we can put it down to the colour of their skin, for me, it just seems really, really bad. But, you know... I don't know what more they can do to protect themselves. Um, the media <laughs> play a massive, massive part on the way uh, the public think. Femi, I'll, I'll come to you. Um, what do you think that either these young footballers can do or the media should change about how they perceive young black footballers? I think it's 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 like, okay, for example, you're talking about Raheem Sterling, for example. Remember the incident, for example, with the... Um, the one second i've got someone running in the room <laughs> right now to disturb me remember the incident with the um the the tattoo that he had mm -hmm. the gun tattoo like imagine imagine that you know he's got a tattoo and all of a sudden he is now in trouble for just getting a tattoo and you think about this, and I, I watch all sorts of different sports, um, especially American sports. And imagine this: um, players like Odell Beckham Jr., players like that, the, their behavior—I mean, it just gets ripped, absolutely ripped apart by the American media. And it's like, why do certain players get this treatment? Basically, 
I don't know. It's um, it, it's worrying. I mean, I know it happens all across the world. I mean, Drew, there, I'm sure uh, in America you have. I mean, I be honest with you, I don't know many American uh, sports stars. I know the very, very big ones, of course I do. But is it the same, if not worse, in America of the way the media treat um, players of a different uh, background? I mean, it's it's definitely worse. Um, and you I mean you can literally just do a whole pod when you're talking about just how you know players in the NFL, just specifically the NFL, are treated with the racial disparity. Then you can look at the NBA. You know, it's very much just there's two different standards, and there always have been. But you know, I don't know nearly enough about the societal differences to comment about what might be the trigger for treatment in UK different to here, but to here, you know, it's very much about there's so much underlying embedded racism and prejudice to the point where there's a lot of times genuinely that I truly believe there's a lot of people don't even realize that they're racist or prejudice. It's because it's inherently learned behavior and you think it's totally normal. Because when you hear the these people try to work through their thoughts and try to justify their words, you're just sitting there and you're just like what you're currently saying is racist, like, and like they'll they'll defend it to the hilt, saying no, it's not. Here's why. It's just like you, your explanation then just made it even more racist. It's like you're digging your own grave, but you don't even realizing you're digging your own grave. And the media kind of does the same thing, you know. It's it, I don't know. I mean, I'm also kind of in the in kind of a headspace today. Like you guys know why? What's been going on um, with another shooting uh, out in the Midwest where? Uh, some seventeen-year-old kid killed two black people at a yeah. at a protest, um, walking down the street with a with an AR-15, and he shoots two people. The cops didn't even arrest him. He walked by the cops with the rifle. Cops didn't think it was him because the cops were looking for a black person because they were assuming the criminal was black. So, and then they finally arrested him, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, I'm kind of already like in a weird headspace about racial matters, and it, we're in a time with when things kicked off with George Floyd with Black Lives Matter. So like topics like this for me are kind of tough to talk about sometimes. So if I seem kind of a bit off, that's the reason why. But like, like here with the media, it's very much um, people will use, and you, you kind of, it's interesting that you brought up the, the Sterling tattoo because everybody has tattoos. Every pro athlete in the modern, in modern sports, not just in football, in any sport, they all have tattoos, black, white, Asian. You know, it doesn't really matter. Tattoos are popular. I have a tattoo, you know. I, all my friends have tattoos. Like it's so the, the fact that people use body art, which most people use as a form of self-expression to tell a story, whatever it might be, as a stick to beat you with, and then they try to equate it to race, and you know, it boggles my mind. You know, you, you you see people walk around like you'll have white people walking around with like assault rifles tattooed on their on their forearm. You know what I mean, like stuff like that, but. You don't see me assuming that they're <laughs> like a neo-Nazi or something because how would I know their story? They could be easily been a, a, a marine vet. Do you know what I mean? Like, but there's automatically this just automatic, just like I said, it's inherent assumptive behavior that color denotes certain things by default, and you only think that way if you're taught to think that way. And you know, when then when you have people who are in media, who are in government, or who are in sports. Um, who take that that sort of behavior and then they apply it, and no one kind of checks that behavior. It it just sat there the faster, and then people who 
in private have those feelings, see it in the media open and in your face all the time, and then they think it's okay to start being more vocal with their feelings and their thoughts, um, which is kind of why you have what's going on in the United States now with, with Trump. Like, I mean, let's be clear, like this, this country was, was so racist and segregated centuries before Trump even came into office. But the minute Trump came into office and he's been vocal about his feelings about people who aren't white, that's why you have everything that's happened ever since he came in. People are so more brazen and open and in your face about it. And that usually was a something you would apply to, to life in certain parts of the United States. But you're even getting it in parts where you don't normally see that so open and in your face. And it's because people, all people need is one excuse to be, to open it and be open with their feelings. And then they'll qualify by saying, well, if you look over here, you know, they'll use other people's poor behavior to justify their own poor behavior. And I don't mean to rant about it. So I apologize for that. I don't why I want everyone else to speak and everything, but <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's just like, it's too much, man. You know, and like at, at some point, you kind of don't have anything else to say. Like all of us in this, in this chat have experienced like some sort of racism or prejudice in our lives, probably multiple times. Like I'm sure of that. You know, I, I don't know everything about Carl's backstory or Femi's backstory or Josh's backstory. I know bits and bobs what you guys tell me when we hang out in chat, but like I can automatically tell you that I know for a fact you guys have dealt with that. And if I can already say that and be sure of it, you know there's a problem. So I think because the media, like for me, are not regulated properly. Like the media have a lot of sway, um, probably even America as well, on how people think. I mean, I'm not going go to go uh, all political, but uh, even the, the Brexit thing, like, you know, um, you look at some of the, the papers that were adamant just now, we've got to leave Europe, we've got to leave Europe. And, and they obviously sway a lot of people's opinion on on certain players you can just tell that even just quickly going back to the harry Maguire thing that was a puff piece whether manchester united or harry Maguire's agency or uh, or um agents try to you know get that ahead of of what was going to come out that was all a puff piece to write about him to show that you know he's not that sort of player you know and Every single person who has said that he's not a sort of player, I've always replied to them on Twitter, well, what players are that sort of player? Can you name me any player that is that sort of player who would go to another country and try to beat up two police officers and then bribe them and then say things like, do you know who I am? Like, can you name me any player in the Premier League that is that sort of player? And, and it's funny because... No one can, or if you do, you do the usual suspects, and we all know who the usual suspects are, and it's and it's tiring. I think that's the word I'm looking for. It is tiring that you know players get sort of labeled in that sense, and you know I do want to move on from this subject, but can I, just 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 on that subject, I think one of the things that Drew was talking about was the the leader in the um of their country, leader of their country. And um, I wanted to relate it to um, pundits as well, because um, he does this thing where he bullies people into submission, or he, he says some things that, you know, you don't really, unless you really know who he is, you don't really see it as sort of some sort of 
covert message that he's trying to send and then he'll come out and he hold his hands out and he say you know i love black people and all of that kind of stuff and it just reminds me of pundits and the way that pundits can manipulate the thinking of people for example the pogba type situation where it's all these like constant digs at pogba like by certain pundits and it's like okay, he's not even playing at times. And it's like, why is it always like a subtle dig at Pogba, another dig at Pogba? And it it just, it, it, it puts things in other other people's minds, if you see what I mean. Like it, it puts some subtle messages. So whenever something, he does a mistake on the field, for example, people have already remembered what that pundit's been saying for ages. And it's the same thing with um, debate shows, like on talk sport and, and things like that. You'll hear it, you'll think, why is he always having a go at that player? And then, like, I listen to debate shows in America, like, and you, you get people like Skip Bayless just always going on about LeBron James. And it's like, no matter what, it's like, it's amazing. And I know it for him, he thinks, you know, it, it gets him hits, it gets him clicks. But it's, it's just this constant, like, LeBron has an amazing game two nights ago was it last night or two nights ago the Kobe Kobe Memorial night he was showing off and playing well you know entertaining what well, there was no fans there but entertaining the people at home and then Skip Bayless comes on his show and he's on about oh he was rubbing it in and he's taking a shot from from 36 yard he's rubbing it in the opponent's face when they're 30 points up and it's like all these these little subtle things so then when LeBron does something that's actually wrong or he has a bad game those seeds have already been planted. If you see what I mean, it's it's like these these little seeds that that pundits plant, and it's 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 quite an interesting thing actually. It's the lexicon that's kind of used between players of different races that I think is one of the most extraordinary things when you look at it in detail. I think one of the main words was the word beast, and you go through and you have a look at the players who have been attributed with that title of beast, and just the. I don't know if you've got the stats for that, Carl, or not, um, for the, how those kind of words were distributed across the media. But it's just a really, when you look at it in detail, you realise it is ingrained. And you don't know if, you know, some of these people mean harm by it or if it's just that lazy thing that's always been there for, as Drew's kind of alluded to, racism isn't a new thing. You know, you know Trump didn't kind of, create racism when he came into office he's just helped fuel it and it's been there and ingrained in society for so long that i just find it odd that it's always been described that way and again if i say to any arsenal fan describe the new viera to somebody and you're always speaking to viera about being kind of powerful big muscly and he's like but there was so much more to his game than that you know, he was great on the ball. And that's something that, you know, great range of passing. Those are things that if you look through the media, you're going to attribute to someone like Santi Cazorla or uh, I'm trying to think of a player of similar stature um, that would be like that. I don't know if anyone can help me out from that one. For that I mean, kind of big rangey midfielder. Again, rangey is another one that... I, I mean, most yeah. black players are always described as having pace and power. Mm. It's, it's one of those things in it doesn't matter their skill for or not um there was uh, a report done i think it was last year um where people were people of a dark skin were 
again, never described as being intelligent footballers, always described as, again, having pace and power, big, powerful beast. Like, Jamie Redknapp is one of the worst people for it on Sky. He always describes black players as being a beast. Like, never intelligent, never, you know, someone like uh, Kevin De Bruyne, who is, yeah, he is an absolute brilliant footballer. Let's not get it wrong. He is, but... um, Someone like him will be, uh, or a black player, will never be described as being intelligent. Um, a, a lady on Talk Sport, and I forgot her name now, it's just, it's just slipped to me, um, where she was comparing uh, Avaro Morata and um, Romelu Lukaku. And she was saying that she'd rather have Morata in um, her team than Lukaku. Now, if you're going to compare stats between Morata and Lukaku for the last two seasons, three seasons. Ever. <laughs> Lukaku shits on Morata every day of the week. But she described Lukaku, she described Morata as being an intelligent player, someone who makes intelligent runs. Okay, but surely Morata's job is to score goals, just like Lukaku's job is to score goals. Lukaku for Inter this season, 23 goals in 36 games. For Manchester United, I mean, he got only got 20 goals um, in 66 games. And for Everton, he got 53 in 110. And you look at Morata's stats, where uh, Atletico, he scored 18 in 49, 16 in um, 47 for Chelsea, and 15 in 26 for Real Madrid. And that was in over two seasons. So, you know, if you're going to want a player in your team, surely you're going to go for Lukaku rather than um, Morata. But at the end of the day, she described Morata. Um, Lukaku was big and powerful and beast-like, which I'm not going to say Lukaku is not intelligent, but what is she talking about football intelligence or normal intelligence? Lukaku speaks six languages. you know. So if you can speak six languages fluently, you're intelligent. You, If you can speak that many languages... I looked up um, Morata's stats and Morata can speak Spanish and a little bit of English and a little bit of Italian, not fluently. So when she talks about intelligence, what what is she referring to? And this is my issue. Like people like Lukaku get described, I'll get uh, stereotyped in a certain certain way, which is wrong. And like you said, it, it comes down to why players of that stature, like you said, Vieira. Vieira for me, was a very intelligent player on the football pitch. He was majestic, his runs and the things that he used to do. But no one ever described Vieira as intelligent. They'd always describe him as big, powerful, because he's tall and he's dark-skinned. You know, it's... I mean, you you can make the same, like, when people always get into discussions, I'm going to really try to suppress another rant here, so I'll do my best. But when people always talk about, you know, best players in the Premier League era, you never really think about players outside of the ones that were acceptable. Like Thierry Henry, for a lot of reasons, was acceptable. I won't really have to go into why, because you guys already know kind of what I'm leaning towards as to why, but someone like JJ Okocha was an absolutely fantastic footballer. On his day, probably one of the best midfielders in, in, in that time period in the Premier League, but no one mentions him. And people take the piss out of Jogba, but Jogba was a phenomenal center forward. And people will compare Henri to Jogba because Jogba never scored as many goals, but Jogba was such a good player beyond the fact that he was strong and good in the air. Again, the same usual monikers you want to apply to someone who's black. 
Um, and but this is this is what I mean. This is like an inherent thing that goes beyond football, you know. And and you guys kind of brought it up. Very few black athletes, not just footballers, but very few black athletes are praised for their intelligence and understanding of their game, their their actual ability. It's always about their physical impositions, you know, how 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 they look, how they frame up, kind of thing. You see that a lot in the NBA. People don't talk about how good LeBron James's feet are. They talk about how how strong he looks now, how much he bulked up. They talk about his power. They don't talk about how quick his feet are, which is insane because at, at the age he is, how fit he is, and he still has feet like he's 19 years old. You know, the way he reads the game. They don't talk about those kind of things often. And that's, again, a passed down thing where because historically the average, like for example, I'll, I'll throw it kind of back to like I guess I guess to history to, to things like like great like great um like uh, slavery or indentured servitude you know African slaves on average were bigger than the average white person of the time period so they were always looked at as being someone who could really handle manual labor the phys the strong physical things to do and those same stereotypes were applied from hundreds of years ago were applied into athletics they were applied to things like the military which is why. I don't know how much you guys know about history, but like the Tuskegee Airmen, for an example, were all in very intelligent, college-educated black men who wanted to become fighter pilots. And they were seen as not intelligent enough to be able to fly an airplane. Things like that, just because of the color of their skin. So it goes so far beyond football and sports. Do you know what I mean? This is like, again, this is what I keep saying. when When you're talking about how people view race and skin color, it's its even, it's beyond the media. It's beyond something what Jamie Redknapp says, but those kind of things are passed down. And a lot of that is just learned and it's just learned and it's immediately brought into your subconscious because you're around it all the time and you think it's normal to say that. But if you really sit down and analyze the words of it, and if you're honest with yourself, you know it's not okay but people don't want to have that honest discussion with themselves. Do you know what I mean? Do you, do you think it's like that because of the lack of diversity within uh, sports commentary? I mean, um, we're, we're sure. onto it now. Um, you know, if you look at, I'll take Sky, and I'm not, um, Sky, obviously, they get all the Premier League football. And, you know, you look at the history of the, the Premier League and it's begun since, what, 92, 93? Um, you know, they've always had someone at the forefront, you know, whether it be Martin Tyler, um, Andy Gray, you know, people like that, and you know, they are the voices of it. But you within football, to the best of my knowledge, there has never been a black co -com commentator or co commentator within the Premier League. Um, they've never found somebody, I mean, Gary Neville, who literally finished football and then walked into a job at Sky, uh, left to be the Valencia manager, and then <laughs> walked into a job at Sky again. Jamie um, Jamie Redknapp, kind of the same. Jamie Carragher, the same. It, it, it's. Do you think, because of the lack of diversity within co-commentary, this is the reason that that happens, where because no one else will challenge um, the people who make those statements about black players, Femi, I come to you. Um, why do you think that 
black players or black former players are not given a chance. I mean, to the best of my knowledge, I'm just talking about Sky now. Um, you, you could mention Bria Ferdinand on, on BT Sports, but I know now, obviously, Mika Richards is just about getting into his foot in the door. But why do you think for so long there was no black pundits and or commentators? Yeah, that's a you know what the commentator thing. I never actually thought about until you just you just said that. Um, I can't even think of hearing one. Maybe it's you know what. Sometimes also it's um, the I'm going to put this in the nicest way. The way that we speak sometimes, yeah. So some people don't. Some people can't understand some. So for example, today I've been seeing a lot of comments about um, Paul Merson. And people saying, oh, why wasn't Paul Merson gone? And then, you know, the comments under that were like, oh, what, are you going to replace him with Clinton Morrison? Have you heard him talk the way he talks type of thing? And, you know, I'm from the same area as, as Clinton Morrison. I grew up kind of near him. I knew him when, you know, he was a young player and all sorts. So I kind of understand, you know, the way he speaks. And that's he even tones it down for the TV, if you see what I'm saying. But... It's about training as well, because I remember when someone like Jamie Carragher got the Sky job. I mean, seriously, do you remember his voice when he first started commentating? His voice was just squeaky and annoying. and Yeah, and all of a sudden, with the training that they've invested in him, you notice that he's polished now. He, he's, he talks a lot slower, that high pitch that he used to have. And it's all about training. If you don't give people the opportunity They'll never hear something. Look at, um, like you're saying, Rio Ferdinand, for example. He's grown into the job just out of comfortability. And then you, you look at someone like Ian Wright, who's just unap- unapologetically him. He's him on every station that he's on, on every platform that he's on. And that's what I like about Mika Richards, someone like that. He's him on everything and but but I noticed that you know he he tones it down when you you know you can see that he's a bobbly laughy type of guy and then he goes to laugh sometimes and then he just he tones it that you can see he just abruptly stops himself and it's like okay you know can you be yourself maybe that those are the things that you know black pundits and commentators are thinking and in terms of co-commentators I, I don't know how they're gonna break into that those jobs because it's it's uh, even on on radio. I mean, you're talking about TV. Even on radio, I mean, there's maybe Dion Doblin every now and then does five live. Uh, I can't remember hearing any on on Talk Sport co commentators that are, are of black skin. And it's 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 a real you know when you consider how many black players or ex players there were, it, it doesn't make any sense. You know, you have to look at okay, there's there's a certain amount of jobs. Um, I mean, you guys get. I mean, I've been watching the um, the NBC coverage for Champions League rather than the BT coverage because the BT coverage is is just shocking to be honest with you. Um, but yeah, I listen to the NBC coverage, and um, you get uh, Mika Richards on there. You get Alex Scott on there. You know, so they they do mix it up quite a bit more on there as well, don't they, Drew? Yeah, I mean, they do, but again, that's more for the American viewing audience, having black commentators is more common because you have them with NFL, not just for, for game days, but you've got so many shows on like ESPN on SportsCenter, you've already, you've already had 
a lot of black presenters and commentators and co-commentators and analysts come on because let's face it, you know, black players, both men and women are dominating most American sports. So it's a normal thing, really. That's especially when it comes to like the NFL and the NBA, they get a lot of former players on um, to come on. That's why, you know, Shaq has a career now with that, you know, post playing. Um, so it's a little bit different, but also, and this is going to be an uncomfortable topic for a lot of people to maybe necessarily hear. So I don't want someone to be offended by this, but you also have to look a certain way when you come into these jobs, when you're on camera. It's not just, I agree with you. It's also, it's not just about how you sound, how you speak, or if they want to invest in, in helping you. Because like you said, when, I remember when character first started, you honestly needed a, a, a translator to understand anything the man was saying. And that's no disrespect, but that's just, that was his accent. That was his way of communicating. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if they wanted to have them be understood on air, they had to invest in helping him be a better public speaker. Not Most people are awful at public speaking. So they made that investment. But a lot of the times, even if you help someone who was black or, or of another race get that training into speaking, it's also about the look. They want to have a certain look. Like, there's a reason why you won't maybe have... Um, I don't know, I can't really think, but you'll, you'll never have someone like Colin Kaepernick come on as an analyst, even if um, everything that didn't happen with the kneeling because of, of, for example, how he wears his hair, how he prefers to wear his hair. You know, you're never going to have someone who's got a lot of tattoos come on in the studio. You're never going to have, a lot of times you can even break it down to sometimes they only want certain shades of black on screen because that's more acceptable to a lot of other people who are, who are viewing. And that comes, that's all part of what comes with making blanket jump, uh, judgments and assumptions about people of other races. Visually, you're assumed certain things just as much as, as the way you sound. And that's a real thing. And that's gonna have, that's, that's for me, that's another reason why you're not seeing as many people come into to punditry and commentary on, on air. And that's why I mentioned Terry Henry because Terry Henry looks a certain way, different than someone like a DDA Drogba. You know, and, and Terry and Rio Ferdinand have kind of that same look. They're lighter skinned, you know, and lighter skinned people of other races have always been more readily acceptable than someone who's darker. And that's a hard reality to take because, and, and that goes into a whole other deeper discussion about racism and prejudice, even just inside the black community, let alone the global community. And that's something that I talk about a lot because I'm mixed, I'm half white. So, and I understand that people will look at me and think one thing, and then they might look at Femi and think something completely different, even though Femi and I are the same race. It's just because I'm a couple shades darker. I have green eyes, I have freckles or whatever. But Femi and I are not different. We're still, we're still two black men, do you know what I mean? At the end of the day, we're still two black men. It doesn't matter, there's different shades of white all the time. You know, someone who's, I don't know, people would consider people who would be Greek to be white, even if Greeks don't think that, but the average person would probably say that. But if you look at someone who's Greek and if you compare someone who's Swedish, they're two different types of people as well, but they're the same race. So again, I mean, it's, it's tough discussion, but I, I would chime in and say that I think visually people are gonna be denied opportunities just as much as for the way they sound. And I think that when you bring that all together, you kind of end up with what we've ended up here with, so. Yeah, it's, it's a discussion that, you know, it, it could lead so many places. Josh, do you think that there's an, an unconscious bias when it comes to big 
TV companies choosing who they want. I mean, you would think that if uh, a top player who finished at the top of his career uh, wanted to go work for a broadcasting company, no matter who they are, you'd think that they would go for that person. I mean, Thierry Henry, as soon as he finished in America, he was given a job um, for Sky, and obviously he went off to go and do coaching or managing. But there were so many other players who have finished their careers who maybe are not given that opportunity, whether it's because the TV company don't want to invest the time in him or because of maybe their race. Yeah, I know what, you, what you're trying to you get to on that as well. And yeah, in terms of like an unconscious bias, I think you can look at not even just down to race, on UK television anyway, how many ex-Liverpool players there are and people who have dissociations with that particular club are shown on there. There's quite a few Arsenal as well. Now, I can't, you know, I know we're on the Arsenal podcast. We do also have our breadth of pundits in there. But it's only recently that, you know, they'll, they'll delve into the, you know, non-white playing career of... Uh, of ex-players i think we've only just seen players like gilberto silva you know get a chance coming through um trying to think of other uh i've seen lauren uh turn up on the occasional sky sports program but otherwise it is the kind of you know it's charlie nicholas then there to name one of them uh oh we can go straight through liverpool as well john barnes i know he's not necessarily the right person to mention because some of his views are polarizing. Weird. <laughs> yeah. Weird on race, shall we say? Uh, glad someone else said that for me on that one, but yeah, uh, it's, it's that kind of group of players that from that same generation, it's, it's got to be more than a coincidence that it's the white players that have come out on this because you say, you've had black captains through that period. So we know that they've got great communication skills throughout the Premier League in that era. So why have they not come in and transitioned to there? And you can't tell me that they're all moving into coaching instead, because we're going to go on to discuss how there's very few opportunities for black players to go into coaching as well. So there's just this dearth of, you know, kind of just this limbo of obvious talent that is there. You know, like we were saying on Dion, Dion Dublin, Dion Dublin could clearly talk about football because he now presents homes under the hammer in the UK. So he's got the ability to hold, you know, read a script for, you know, just starters, which is enough to get you a match of the day. Uh, yeah, it is these kind of, there is a like old group of players, I think with like commentators, what we've seen with who was it that was recently sacked from ITV? Um, Clive yeah. Tilsley, yeah, Clive Tilsley, and you know, he'd been in his role for 30 years, 30 40 years. These people do you do need to have this kind of natural, um, just turnover of people to allow. The talent the next generation of talent to come through but in the media you know as a commentator you could realistically i think john motson was what in his 70s when he retired 
He hasn't. Has he, oh, when he was retired from <laughs> match of the day. Yeah, when he was retired from match <laughs> yeah. of the day, he was what, in his 70s. So as you say, Femi, again, there's a perfect role for somebody to come into, but John Watson. Oh, don't there. worry, Josh. Claire Tilsley's landed on his feet. I heard him oh, on the yeah. um, on the NBC commentary team. He's their main commentator in America now. <laughs> so exactly. yeah, yeah, that lasted exactly. long. <laughs> yeah, it's that kind of problem that we're kind of going with is you're trying to turn over talent to bring up new talent and give these opportunities there. But it is these, there's also these roles that you've got people just sitting in that you just can't shift. I mean, Gary Lineker's a great host. But when's he ever going to shift from match of the day? I think he could be doing that for the next 20 years, arguably. And that could be someone from the other side of the match of the day couch. You know, as you've seen, Rio started on there. See Mika Richards on there. That's an opportunity that won't be available for 20, 30 years. Which kind of brings us on to what um, what happened today with uh, Charlie Nicholas, um, Matt Letizia, and Phil Thompson getting fired uh, or being relieved of their duty from Soccer Saturday. And the absolute, I don't know what to call it, Ferrari that's in, that's embroiled within today, the comments that have been under certain websites that have released this news is just absolutely ridiculous. Now, I went through some of them and you look at them and you just have to shake your head. I, I don't know why. The first thing people are saying is, oh, I guess they're going to give it to a black player or a black person to fill the quota. Or they're going to give it to a woman just so they can be, um, again, fill the quota or be more diverse and give it to people like Clinton Morrison or Mika Richards or Alex Scott or someone uh, along them lines. Now, for me, I watch Soccer Saturday. Phil Thompson... Matt Letizia and Charlie Nicholas are very bad at their jobs. They are very bad, especially Matt Letizia. Matt Letizia is not a good pundit, no matter what anyone says. But he's been in that job for so long. It's just like every season after season after season, it's kind of like, we don't know who else to give it to. We're just going to give it to Matt Letizia. There's no guarantee that black players or uh, their jobs are going to be replaced by black people but you just see the the people on twitter or in the in the twitterverse that have literally spat fire at this and um those who haven't seen it go on ian Wright's twitter because he um he posted a video about it and it was just you know the fact that he had to take time out of his day to tell people to stop being racist and it's not Anyone, and it, for me, it just highlights the fact now that if the job is given to someone like Clinton Morrison or Alex Scott or Mika Richards, that there's the spotlight is going to be on them so much now because of that fact. And you know, for a fact that they could be one of the best pundits in the world, but people are not going to give them a chance just because of, I don't know, their favorite has been replaced. Femi, when you saw the, um, the video from Ian Wright, I don't know if you read any of the comments under the the various news um, outlets that released uh, the news about the three guys getting fired. What did you think? Because for me, it was just <laughs> just the way that people are thinking now. It's just absolutely a joke. It's funny because I saw the report on the, the when it broke earlier, and uh, I think it was one of the newspaper sites, and I clicked on the 
the uh, original tweet and I looked at some of the comments and I, I to be honest with you, I just switched off because I had to, to be honest, I've been switching off a lot from comments recently because I, I just, if I start replying, I just think it's just not worth it. It's not worth my time, my energy. You know, you, you saw the comments, it was like, oh, they need to fill their BAME quota. They need to, um, they need to get more women on there, more minorities. There was even a comment <laughs> about, oh, I bet they want to get someone with a wheelchair. They need to get someone with a wheelchair on there. You know, and it's just like these ignorant, just weird, like, comments that are just seen as acceptable in society. It's like people feel like I can just say things like this and just, it's fine, it's all right. And, you know, I looked at the, um, I'm, I mean, like, like you, I'm a Soccer Saturday fan, and I looked at the, uh, remember the old lineup, um, Soccer Saturday with, like, Rodney Marsh, George Best and Frank Frank McClintock and 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 then they used to have you know Clive Allen and, and people like that. Remember that that lineup when they were replaced, you know, with Matt Letizier, Paul. No one said anything, did they? There was no comments like this. You know, it's like jobs for the boys, isn't it? Like we like that kind of jobs for the boys in football mentality, don't we? In in coaching, in 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 you know, just just natural, just without any sort of process or due process it's just like we're happy with the status quo as long as it's a nice job for the boys you come in to replace this guy but like Josh said sometimes people just have to go and then you replace them with the best person for the job not just the next you know available person that's similar to them but you know it's so weird and and just 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 speaking on that you know I, I was thinking this is when I was listening to Ian Wright and, you know, just the passion in his voice. And I was just like, is it got to that point where every single thing needs a commentary of, of something negative, you know, towards, towards black people, basically, to be honest with you, is it, is it that every single thing has to have that kind of commentary? You know, not everything is, is it's like, for example, okay, sorry, I'm, I'm not, going off on a tangent but for example the um when the uh the bbc thing the songs of whatever the opera thing that happened this week it's like um bbc decided some certain lyrics weren't going to be sung and then it's like the comments were just like against black people i'm like i've never even watched this show i don't know anything about this show i don't know anything about these songs that they've asked to be sung so why is it sort of my me and my race that's getting attacked with you and it, it's just all these little things that are like distractions you know and I just really thought imagine this is my thought earlier actually I said imagine if every single black athlete decided you know what I, we've had enough of this and we're gonna not play our sport for one game or something like that like imagine the damn imagine how many how many black players are involved in sports Imagine what kind of message that would send or what kind of damage that would do to that sport. And then I turn onto the internet just now, just as we're talking, and look at this. In the NBA tonight, the Milwaukee Bucks have decided that they are not playing tonight. They've gone on strike because yep. of the shooting in America. Yep. And I think that is just a watershed moment in sports, to be honest with you, because I've never seen that happen before. To be honest you, with you. you want me to, to chime in? So one of my good friends, she actually works for NBA. She's one of the visual directors. So if you anything that you see visually presented at a game, 
she she's the one in charge of that so she's in the bubble right now so i always speak to her a lot she was just texting me about 15 minutes ago talking about you know they're they're protesting people that but she said that people didn't like take it seriously that the threat of them protesting was going to happen they were just like they won't do it and i told her i was like i think that too many people generally underestimate how fed up black people are at this point like and it doesn't matter where you come from who you are how much money you make it doesn't matter it's irrelevant the, you know so the, I, I i'm all for it do you know what i mean like if that's how they can use their platform to get the message across that this isn't okay and we've had enough protest multiple games go right ahead do you know what i mean like it's it's something maybe it'll get people to finally stand up and listen and even though everything that happened with Kaepernick started the conversation it was never going to be enough because they made sure to shoot that down as quickly as possible because they didn't want that message to come out honestly so if they're protesting this now like that like the way they are like that's like that i'm happy for that honestly because sometimes like it's not about going out there and 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 inciting riots and whatever but it's about using your platform as a voice to understand that change is necessary and this is like a peaceful way of doing it and a lot of people are not gonna like it a lot of people are gonna you, you, you can already dream up the comments in your head about it's similar to what happened with Kaepernick just like we'll, we'll you know get rid of their endorsement deals blah 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 etc etc you know whatever it might be because so many people don't really actually want to take the time to listen and sometimes silence is just as if not more powerful than than yelling as loud as you possibly can so if they're going to silently protest and not go ahead with the game that's a, that's an amazing thing but i i agree with you could you imagine what would happen if the entire premier league was suspended for one match day because all the black players refused to not play <laughs> you'd have half half the squads wouldn't even turn up you know you wouldn't even be able to do it carl, carl you're also muted if you're speaking <laughs> So can hear you. There you go. Yeah, professional. There you go. Uh -huh. Yeah, I mean, I drew. I actually agree with you, and I wanted. I remember a few, uh, last year when England played in. I forgot what country it was now, and Raheem Sterling was literally about to walk off the pitch, and I think it was Harry Kane who stopped him from walking off. Um, for me, I was fuming. One, because I think that would have sent a bigger message, uh, players walking off the pitch in an international rather than um, them playing along. I mean, I know Raheem Sterling came out afterwards and he kind of said, oh, I think winning the game um, sent a bigger message. But for me, no. If you stop a game, and that's the topic of the conversation, because at the end of the day, the players will get racially abused, England will win, and then that will be the end of it. The fact that the topic of conversation would be walking off and that would be what people are talking about, that for me sends a, a much bigger message. I mean, for me, it's hats off to the Milwaukee Bucks for um, not playing today because for me, that's what people are going to talk about. And I know a lot of people will definitely say, not they should go out and, you know, show solidarity and things like that. But until you're able to be in that position, then you can't, for me really say what you would or wouldn't do like i was having a conversation with one of my friends uh, a female the other day and we were talking about um weirdly <laughs> um sanity charles uh, a long a long conversation for it but 
And she was saying that during the lockdown, when she wanted to go for a walk, she couldn't go to a toilet and change her sanitary towel. And I was like, oh, rah. She goes, but you don't know what it's like, like having to walk around like that. And I kind of had to stop for a minute and think, shit, no, I've, I've, I've never experienced that in my life. So I wouldn't know what that's like. And yes, I can, I can kind of say, if you've never experienced racism in your life, you'll never know what it's like to be in that situation and it's hard and you know we can have as many conversations as we want and we spoke about it we spoke about it and we spoke about it we've you know we're pumping out things like yes sky would pump out black lives matter sky will say they're looking to do change and all other these big companies are saying that but number one what are you looking what are you actually going to change and number two, when are these changes going to happen? There's only so much conversation that you can have before action is needed. And I'm not talking about going out and rioting. I think I think that is is wrong. Person, that's my personal opinion. But you hit people where it kind of hurts. Like Drew said, if all the black players, and I'm not advocating this happening, by the way, but I'm just saying, if all the black players never turn up for their Premier League game, what would happen? Like literally the Premier League wouldn't operate. It would come to a standstill. I mean, you think of the majority of the black players, you think of the Man United forward line, they're all black, so they wouldn't turn up. Um, Arsenal got a load of black players, they wouldn't turn up. You know, Liverpool, exactly the same. Imagine if Marnie never turn up. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, or Salah or, or someone like that. Like, it's, it would be a powerful message sometimes you have to ask yourself what next what next can they do what next is what's the next step because talking we've, we've had this conversation and we're having these conversations but nothing else is changing I mean we've been talking about racism in the Premier League for how long and last year in uh, 2019-2020 and this is just before the lockdown there were 150 racial incidents within the Premier League that were report, just reported. Those are ones just reported. So imagine how many of them have gone unreported. I remember we didn't have fans in the stadium from what did we, when did we lock down? March. March. So from August until March, there were 150 incidents of um, racist behaviour. Just, just in the Premier League, by the way, let me add that. So it goes to show you that you know, things are not exactly getting better. They're, they're not. But what's the next cause of action? What do we do next? It's, you know, is it because of the lack of diversity within the FA, which even that was uh, a struggle to try and find figures for that because they don't. And I believe it's only 6% of the FA higher level have, are of a black and ethnic minority, 6%. So you're trying to tell me that of all the people that are employed by the FA, they're only 6%. It's, you know, you, you look at um, people of authority, you look at the managers of the 92 league clubs in the Premier League, uh, 92 league clubs, only five people <laughs> are of a black and ethnic minority, five. You know, that is, for me, it's... 
it's not good enough. It, it's not good enough. And I was asking Drew just before we started. I know, so the EFL have uh, a thing called the Rooney Rule. And if you don't know what the Rooney Rule is, it's a, it's kind of a pledge that clubs will consider hiring someone from a black and ethnic minority or they have to at least get through to the interview process. Um, and I, as I was reading up about it, I didn't know whether it was a good or a bad idea. And to, I still don't know because it should be personally right man for the right job. That's, you know, without a shadow of a doubt, that should always happen. But you need to get people's foot at least in the door. And if you can't get at least get in the door, that's where the issue starts. Um, Josh, I'll come to you. Do you, I'll come to you because uh, obviously you're not black, but are you a fan of the Rooney rule or do you think it should be implemented? Uh, I think to be honest, the cynic in me says uh, Chris Hutton had a lot of miles to put in, in the championship basically with the Rooney rule because he was the only black manager that I think anybody in that league would consider because there's that lack of perceived depth. I mean, within absolute shadow of a doubt, if you listen to anything Mick McCarthy has said, uh, Terry Connor, uh, who was manager of West Brom for a bit, absolutely superb coach, one of the best in the business, doesn't get a look in. Uh, we can go to Sol Campbell as well and look at that generation of just, we could work our way through that England squad and look where their first job was after they retired. Michael Owen went straight into punditry and if anybody's seen the Dubai advert of him in the helicopter, we know again, not, not a talker, um, pretty bland, pretty boring, very uncharismatic. And then you look at Steven Gerrard, you know, he's, he's gone to Rangers, which you'd say is a, a step down from potentially where he could get. Frank Lampard walks straight into uh, Derby County, aided a lot by his uncle. I, I think it's a lot of, you know, who you know, as well as what you know in that particular instance. And Sol Campbell has to go to, get him in the right order, Macclesfield, who uh, bottom in the bottom of the entire professional pyramid. Uh, you know, they're 92nd of 92nd. They're 10 points adrift when he joins them. And the only reason he's getting a, ro a, a role is because someone's throwing a Hail Mary, really. I think it's got to that point. That's why they're kind of going, well, we can get Sol Campbell. And they're not, you know, you'd think, especially with the job that then Sol's done, his next job would be, oh, okay, championship, because he's proven himself. But again, he has to go back into the doldrums of League One and his South End United, another absolute horror pass of a role but it's the only roles he's getting hired for are you just think that surely with that body of work there'd be at least one stable club that would look at him and give him that foundation to grow from and i think it's even down to that level that although you can say there's five uh you know five black managers in place they're not necessarily in stable positions now, you know managers jobs aren't necessarily stable but the club behind the scenes are at least stable. And is it because of the generation of owners that are in place when you get down? Again, you, I know it was tarring 
the kind of um, racial profile of owners in the lower leagues. But is that another thing that's coming down to it? The people that are making the hire have that prejudice behind it and probably see the Rooney rules as a hindrance to them because they're going to have to do an interview that they know they don't want to do. Yeah. I have to agree. I mean, Drew, I mean, obviously the Rooney rule is um, within the NFL and I think you said that it's not in uh, prevalent in any other sports. Do our black coaches more prevalent in uh, the United States? I mean, I can think of two basketball two basketball coaches that are black, the names that I can picture their faces, but not their names. But um, do black people in America get a better, I guess, better opportunity in uh, head coaches roles in America? There's plenty of coaches, but head coaches for professional sports? No. I mean, with the amount of, again, it's, if you look, if you look at the, the numbers and, and, and just the, the two main sports you'll discuss here for for black athletes, it's basketball and it's American football, where they make up such a large percentage of the athlete pool. Comparative to how many head coaches there are in the NBA or how many head coaches there are in the NFL, college football, same thing. You'll have offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators, special teams coordinators for the NFL, but there won't be head, a lot of head coaches. You know, Tom on that the Pittsburgh Steelers for a long time. Josh will know who I'm talking about. He was the head coach of Pittsburgh Steelers for a very long time, and he was relatively successful. But apart from him and maybe another couple of names, there's not a ton of them. Basketball, same thing. The NBA, which is a sport that's completely dominated by black athletes. Um, you don't have a ton of black head coaches. You'll have, again, you'll have assistant coaches. You'll have people on staff, but it's different. And you look at it, and that's kind of almost the same thing you see in things like corporate America. How many CEOs that are black do you really see? You'll see them in, in positions of power to a certain extent, but they'll never be given that top, top position. doesn't matter how much experience they have. And, and you can even look at that going down the list to like the level I coach. I coach U14s and U18s. And I was the only head coach that was black. In the league that I coach in, um, so it's it's the same thing. Um, and, and and I mean, and I know a ton of people who are black and other races who have just as much experience as I do. And I've, I've been coaching since I was nineteen. So I've been coaching for seventeen years, and I've been playing since I was six. So I've been playing for thirty years. So I know the game. You know, I've I've gone through the rings, but I know other people who've done the same, and they can apply to to prominent youth clubs across the board and even if they get into the room a lot of people will already just 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 discount them and that's the thing about the Rooney rule the Rooney rule only gets you into the room it doesn't say that they have to hire you so it's almost like they're just going to go through the motions we'll say oh well these couple of people are black well we have to just let them in and we'll talk to them but we have no intentions of hiring them so it doesn't change but so much it'll change things if you have people who are progressive on that board level who will actually be willing to take a chance on someone who's black but the ruling rule doesn't actually change anything. You know, you, you have just as much getting hired with it than you do without it. So, I mean, there's just way more has to be done. Um, and yeah, that I means that's, yeah, it, that doesn't really change anything. And, um, and that's almost kind of why when you see, you'll see a lot of athletes at all age levels when they play under a coach who is a race that they are. So in this instance, black, they respond to them differently 
And it's not just because they want to play for someone who's black. It's because they want to play for a coach who understands their trials and tribulations more than somebody else ever could. And you see that a lot when it comes to basketball and American football, because that's such an outlet for so many people who are black in the United States, particularly from certain areas and certain states where the education system is downright poor, their home life is, is, is tough, and their outlet is sports. You have a lot of athletes who talk about that all the time. And a lot of those athletes who go on to be successful were brought up under coaches who, who got them on another level. That's not just about sports. It's about being a human being. You know, it's about having good role models. It's about someone who can relate to you on another level. That's a different conversation for an athlete that's black when you're playing for a black coach and when you're playing with a white coach. And that's not meant to be insulting at all. It's because there's a, you can just understand it just that much better. And that can be seen as a motivator. So that's the point. It's it's chained. If you want to have people to be successful in life, you have to give them those. The, it's the the right motivator starting at a younger level to say we can make it that high. So I want to strive to get to that high. Because so many people stop themselves inherently to say I'll never get this job. There's no reason why I should apply for it. So I'm not going to bother. No matter how qualified they are. And that's another thing. So it's 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 that almost like that symbology as well. You need you want to have somebody to really kind of look up to, and that's why you have all these all these athletes are so highly beloved in communities because they're seen as like that beacon, like he did it, I can do it too, kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and, and that kind of made you out. Yeah, and that goes beyond sports; it goes into any field. You know, you're talking about people who end up in high degrees of medicine, you know, PhDs and whatever field they're doing. It's it's that kind of thing. So, yeah, no, in American sports, it's, it's very much the same thing. Um, but yeah, for for almost the same reasons, really. Femi, what what would you, I know? It's kind of putting you on the spot, but what would you change? I mean, yeah, the Rooney Rule helps, but like Drew said, it only gets you in the door. And yeah, like I said, I'm all about right man, right job. But like Josh alluded to, Frank Lampard walked into uh, a championship job at Derby. Stephen Gerrard walked into arguably, you know the second best team in Scotland. You know, that was his first job uh, as a football coach. Like, like, uh, and again, what um, Josh said, Sol Campbell had to work his way up through Macclesfield, saved Macclesfield from going down. And then you would have thought, oh yeah, maybe he would get a job at a championship, but no, he's gone down to South End. Why do you feel that he's not, or isn't given the same opportunities as the likes of uh, Stephen Gerrard or Frank Lampard? Oh, that's the million dollar question, isn't it? Um it's it's a tough one. I think I think as Josh was speaking, I just think about the the, the amount of managers that do a job, get sacked, and then get hired at a top level again. Do you see what I mean? Like the Allardyces, the uh before the Pardews and the the teams like this, and it's it's so random that you wouldn't just take a punt on just a, a young, but then it it still comes back to even, I mean, you're talking about managers, even at the coaching level, there's not enough black coaches. So then how did they progress, basically, if you see what I mean? Like how many black coaches are around? Um, Arsenal had a couple in the unders. Um, I think one left to go with Thierry to Monaco, and I haven't even heard about him since uh, he was uh, Ampadu's father, I think. 
um, the Chelsea player. I think it was his dad. He was in the unders at Arsenal. But you need the coaching. I mean, you need they need the experience at some point. But then it's, it's quite weird because then randomly you'll see someone get a job with zero experience. You're thinking, hold on a minute. Um, it, and it's because of their, their jobs, isn't it? Or their... Okay, so for example, you look at um, Juventus. They sack Perloff. Uh, they sack um, what's his name? Uh, Sorry. Yeah. Within a few hours, they give the job to Perloff. You know, you, you never see that kind of opportunity for a black coach in any sort of any league. To be honest with you, we've got um, we've got a a, a black coach. I think it's is it Eddie? Not Eddie Newton. One of those guys have gone to Greece to go and do a job now. You know. Um, is that going to be the route? Are they going to have to go outside of the UK to come back in? Because, to be honest, I just can't see how the opportunities are going to arise in the UK. And then if the opportunities do arise, so you're talking about Chris Hewton, for example. Chris Hewton hasn't been in a job where he's had resources to compete. You know, Newcastle, He as soon as Ashley came in, you know, he was he was bummed out. You know, he was at at Brighton. Uh, he he brought Brighton up, didn't he? He brought Brighton up. Brought Brighton um, up. He brought Norwich up. And yeah, yeah. He, yeah. So he, but you know, these are the th- jobs that he's getting. You know, and he's just an example. You know, I've never seen a, a black coach who's been at a job that's stable as just as a, even yeah. just 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 a stable job, let alone a. Um, a big job you know we had a the west brom um manager who got who got bummed out you know for um slavin village you know he didn't even have a chance to you know complete the job i think they were fourth at the time that he got Mm. he got bummed out (laughs) you know it's just all these yeah darren moore yes it's, it's all these weird things that you just think come on like just it would be nice to just see a black coach with actually a chance. You know, Thierry Henry goes to Monaco. You know, he has a miserable time. You know, this this can happen. We know that. And the next job that he gets is, you know, no disrespect, but it's, it's in the MLS. And you're thinking, okay, uh, what's the way back for him? You know, Patrick Vieira had to go to the MLS to invent himself, you know, to get a job um at Nice, who now have money, I, I guess, but you know they were they were just a mid-table French team when he gets there. So it, it's all these that sort of cycle that you see, and it's it's not just in the UK; it's just within the whole of football. And you're thinking, when is the cycle just going to break? And it's you know you can't have that many black players representing football in every country that you watch. You know in the Premier League there's such a high percentage in the England team there's a high percentage and but there's no coaches there's no managers it it doesn't make sense to be honest with you yeah it, it's it's so weird that you would think of all the the coaches that have sort of retired sorry players that have retired uh, over the years and none of them are coaches and whether you it, it, we can't categorically sit here and say, oh, uh, a high percentage of them want to be coaches. Some of them may not. And, and I, I totally understand. But you can understand that some of them will want to stay in the game in some sort of form. And people like Sol Campbell, who, you know, taking that step, who want to be managers and not given or afforded the same opportunities as the likes of 
you know, a Frank Lampard or um, Steven Gerrard. Do you know what I mean? Like these players are, you can't even base it on sort of um, their playing because, okay, Steven Gerrard won the Champions League. He never won the league. So Frank Lampard, yeah, his, his career was glittered with trophies, but Steven Gerrard wasn't really. But what made someone give Steven Gerrard, you know, arguably, like I said, Rangers are arguably the second biggest team, maybe the biggest team in Scotland. But he walked into that job after being Liverpool coach for the, I think it was under 18s, I think it was. Hmm. Um, you know, someone at Rangers said, yes, you know what, you're going to be the one for this job. And I'm not saying that. I don't know who else applied for that Rangers job. No idea. So I can't categorically say that a black person applied and didn't get it. But, you know, that's a very good job that Stephen Gerrard's got. You know, yes, it's a Scottish league and I'm sure any four of us could go to that league and probably win the league. Uh, let's face it. But um, it's it's just weird that that happens and you know you never really see uh, a black coach get an opportunity just like that i mean the one i can think of that just springs to my mind is paul ince when he had the uh the blackburn job and i think wasn't he the first black manager in the premier league uh paul ince i'm sure he was hmm. Uh, and he didn't last long. I mean, yes, granted, he, Blackburn had some god-awful results, uh, granted, 100%, but, you know, and he's never got a job after, to the best of my knowledge. I don't think Paul Wintz has got another job. Um, uh, in- Paul Lentz had a few jobs after Blackburn. I'm only saying no, that. did he go to, uh, go to I, Blackpool, I want to say? Yeah, I, it's only because I've got his Wikipedia page up at the moment. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I want to say he went to Blackpool. Yeah. Um, no, uh, Milton Keynes uh, did MK Dons for a year. I remember him going there, uh, then did Notts County, but then t- two seasons out, went to Blackpool. But that was as a favour from memory that he went to Blackpool. I can't remember if Tom Ince was there for a bit. Uh, yeah, he was, wasn't he? Yeah, well, he was a player, but I can't remember if he was still at the same... I think that was the reason why he came in. But yeah, again, uh, he didn't last that long. Yeah, and now so, he's... Yeah. Um, well, the fact that he doesn't think that Dennis Beckham's got a statue outside Arsenal just says a lot, to be honest. But mm. um, <laughs> yeah, and it's just... It's, it's, it's very, very weird. And, you know, um, even one more subject that I kind of want to... Uh, well, two more, but we'll brush over this quickly. Um the refereeing situation in the Premier League or even the English Football League. So, again, I had to do a lot of research for this, um, but really, truly, not that much because in the top four divisions in the English football, there is only one assistant referee uh, that is of black or ethnic minority which is very, very weird. And his name is Akil Hulson. Oh, Housen, I should say. He's an assistant uh, referee in the uh, championship. Uh, he's been doing it since 2015, the 29 year old. And you got to think to yourself the, the last black referee uh, in the Premier League was um, Uriah Rennie. And I'm sure that everyone, if you're of a certain age, remember Uriah Rennie. He was a, a big guy. Um, and you know, he, he retired in 2009, 
So since 2009, there's never ever, there's only ever been one in the Premier League. And remember me saying that the Premier League has uh, started in 2000, and, sorry, hear me, uh, 1992, 93. And there's only ever been one. And you are ready, and there's never been uh, another one. And I was having uh, a conversation with someone on Twitter where the Premier League just announced the people who were going, um, being promoted to the um, to the Premier League. They called it the Select Group. So this is a Select Group One and Select Group Two, and obviously Select Group One is the Premier League, and Two is obviously the Championship. And I was saying, like, I can't believe that in the whole of the English refereeing tier, so, you know, everyone who's a referee, there's not one person, not even one, who is good enough to be a referee who's of black and ethnic minority. Like, for me, that, again, shows that when you get to the top of the pyramid, it's all uh, white and male. I mean, there's only one female, um... I forgot her name now. Is it Sean? I want to say Sean, Sean. Massey. Yeah, Sean Massey. Um, and even that, that's ridiculous as well. Like, why is there not more women in there? But the fact that there's no black or ethnic minority referees within the get the refereeing game for me is absolutely shocking. Now, uh, I'll come to you, Drew, because I know I, I know you don't know the top of your head, but I know there are some in basketball. I've seen quite a few sort of. Uh, black referees is it more prevalent in america because as i watch american football sometimes and i do see some because i know in american football i want to say there's seven referees i can't remember there's more than there should be we'll start there <laughs> but <laughs> way more than there should be but yeah it's more it's more prevalent certainly even if you don't have head referees you'll get like the linesmen You'll, you will get referees. Basketball, same thing. You will get referees that are that are black. Baseball, you don't have a lot of umps or officials that are black. Um, I guess that's okay, I suppose. But um, yeah, it's just. But again, they're not. I'm trying to think of other way to put this. Like I'm not adverse to, to being controversial and saying things that people aren't going to like to hear, especially on this topic. That's not what I'm here for, really. So. For me, I've always equated it to if you feel some type of way about about race, whether if you know it or not, and I've learned this throughout the course of my life, my, my brother has as well, um, maybe you guys have also, but a lot of people don't like being told what to do or how to act by somebody who they feel is not on their level on racial, on racial grounds. So it's different in the NBA where you have a league that's dominated by black athletes who have black referees, that's not the same thing as maybe in the Premier League where, um, you know, you have a, a lot of people who aren't black, you know, they're being told how to act by someone who is black. A lot of them might not particularly enjoy that, whether they know it or not. So that's why I think it's more normal to see it in something like the NBA or the NFL. Um, I don't know if that's an experience or a thought process that people in the UK have, but it certainly is an, an experience and a thought process that people have in the United States. And that's why you have so few black men or women in positions of authority, because a lot of people don't like being told what to do by somebody who's black. That's the brass tax of it. And again, it's not just athletics, it's across however many professions. Um, so I don't know if that plays into it on a Premier League level, but it certainly plays into it here. 
um, again, not just in athletics, but but in general. Again, same thing. How many highly qualified people do you have that are black that are in CEO positions? You know what I mean? Like people who have 30 years plus experience, multiple degrees, doctorates, you know what I mean? Like it's the same thing you see throughout, for years you saw it throughout government, you saw it throughout like the judicial system, all these kind of things. You know, it's so beyond just sports. Um, how people kind of feel like deep down. Um, same thing like like teachers. Like a lot of people go to school to become teachers that are minorities and a lot of students definitely react differently to somebody, to a teacher who is of a different race than another. I mean, I see that constantly. I have a lot of friends that are teachers. You know, I work for a school, so I see it all the time. Um, it's a real thing. So I don't know if it's a subconscious thing or a conscious thing when it comes to referring. You, know, you also have to consider maybe, I don't know the, the numbers behind it. Josh might, you guys might. I've never done the research, but to go through the, the rings to become uh, a referee in the FA, like how expensive is that? Could it be a, you're also talking about socioeconomic issues. Is it harder to maybe for, for a lot of people who are of a different race to be able to afford to go through things? Because you have that with things like here, when you're trying to be an athlete with things like pay to play, there's a lot of talented minority athletes in the United States that can't afford to go play for top youth clubs because they just can't afford it. Not because they're not good enough. It's because they come from harder economic means and their parents just can't chuck up $15,000 a year to play for a youth club. Do you know what I mean? So I don't I know. If it's the thing so with referees as well to add to it is not just the case of the distinct lack of, um, you know, black referees. It's just the distinct lack of any diversity right. in there at all. There's not every single referee is from England. Mm -hmm. Uh, a supposed best league in the world that imports talent from across the globe. There are black referees across other parts of Europe. Yeah. You know, off the top of my head, I can think of a couple in Spain that I've seen because you see them during uh, European competitions, you know, the ones where the Premier League referees aren't allowed to go to because they're all shit. <laughs> uh, you know, those kind of competitions, you see there's black referees around. So there's, you know, it's got to be something about the system in the UK as well that's blocking it. The, the how many games you have to go through and work your way up the ranks. Yeah, it's a very broken system. To use the word corrupt, I think, wouldn't be doing a disservice to it, especially from what you've heard from ex-referees. I think Jeff Winter's one of the most outspoken on it. Same with Graham Pohl. Again, says it's a massive clique. And what you tend to find with massive cliques, irrespective of race, is they tend to hire from within their own community. And Keep up the boys club. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's the same kind of deal. It's a big old clique, that referee system. And I wouldn't understand why, you know, even thinking back to the 90s when the Premier League was formed, why we didn't try and get someone like Kalina over here. You know, we're hiring, the, we're getting the best players around from the globe. Why are we not getting the best referees in? And I think that that is a really interesting area to dive into just in general is that especially when it comes to things like bias, you know, how you can't have certain referees go with certain matches and how they all coincidentally only support teams from the lower leagues as well. Yeah, again, that's weird. I mean, we could probably... <clears throat> 
have a whole podcast on the the corruptness of the PG MOL. It's um yeah, we've all had our show, we've all watched games and you've seen referees make the mistake. And like you said, Josh, like there was a reason why no referees from England went to the the Euros or the World Cup. Do you yeah, know what I mean? There's a, there's a reason for that because they are not good at and considering they're meant to be professional referees, these referees are paid you know, that's their sole income. They are, you know, the PGMO I said, we're going to pay your wage because we want to make you professional. And it, and they're not good at what they do. It, it, it just shows. And again, you know, we could, uh, off the top of our heads, we can all name some very, very bad referees. You know, my Dean, you know, Andre Mariner, you know, Martin Atkinson, all flipping, you know, Anthony Taylor, just bad, bad at what they do. But they've they've also all been in their job since the early 2000s as well. So it's another one of where we've been mentioning there's a very there's a distinct lack of churn at the top level, which I think you see across uh, jobs anyway, is that right at the top level, very little churn, uh, unless you're looking at obviously managers in football clubs that we're not getting this kind of new talent coming through. You know, the freshest faced one there is Michael Oliver and you know what? He came through at the same time as Anthony Taylor. It's it's that kind of problem that there's a there's obviously a blocker in this system. And I think just coming down to the abuse that referees get as well, I think that's a huge factor in it because uh, I know we have to go into what your guys' um, experience is of it but when someone loses their rag at you and is passionately shouting at you how quickly do they turn to using racism as a form of abuse and i imagine it's pretty swift oh yeah that's the that will be i mean yeah referees get abused no matter what but you just know that if a referee was to make an error make a mistake and let me make this clear referees are going to make mistakes they can't see everything there's no way they can However, you just know that instead of someone calling them uh, an idiot, they're going to use their race and they're going to say, oh, you're a black idiot, like for for that being no reason whatsoever. I mean, look what they do to the players, the people who they apparently adore week in, week out, who play for their actual club. You know, what, what would they do to someone who is perceived to be the enemy? Um, do you know what I mean? There's just so many connotations, but... Again, like that shouldn't be there. Like, I wouldn't want that to be the reason why they're not getting the job. Like, Femi, do you think that the FA or the Premier League are protecting people? You know, while you you guys were talking, I was just looking at um, young Premier League because I remember and I thought I remembered that a few of these referees have been fast tracked through the system. Um, Stuart Atwell. Uh, Michael Oliver, they were fast track right through the system, age 26, some of them. So for me, and and if you look at them, they still made mistakes, even though they were fast track. So how did they judge them as elite when they're 26 years old? Do, do, do you see what I'm saying? Why is it that they were afforded those privileges at 26 years old that you couldn't fast track, say, a young um, um, African or Black African or minority um, referee and give them the same thing. I think 
what you said there might come into it, which is the abuse level. I think there's a fear that that abuse level will come if you see what I mean, like there's going to be some sort of racial abuse and it's going to be, it's going to cause a storm. I think that that is always in the back of the, 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 the authorities mindset or the, the, the people that are in charge mindset, to be honest with you. That's my personal opinion. It's, it's like the, um, the whole kneeling thing at the moment. I've got this weird feeling that if that, and I'm just going to be honest. Like I watched a, um, I had a thought actually that if that was continuing into when crowds were there, what would happen basically? And there was a match in Chicago, I want to say, a couple of weeks ago, and they allowed fans into the stadium, and the players kneeled. And guess what happened? <laughs> the fans booed, <laughs> and it just made me think. <laughs> If the fans are in the stadium, a lot of the things are like the players kneeling. What's the reaction is going to be? And I think that might be in the mind, the back of the minds as well when they're fast tracking certain referees. Like, why is it? But um, we'll see, won't we? We'll see. You know, the proof is always in the pudding. I've, I've, I've just read actually that they have promoted a, a young black referee into League One and Two for this coming season. His name is, uh, what's his name? Sam Allison. So they've just put him in. I don't know what his age is, but he's going to be doing League One and Two. So let's, let's, uh, and he, he's actually done an interview with, uh, Darren Lewis. Uh, it's a good one. You can search it out when you've got time. He's done an interview where he's talking about, you know, feeling the pressure of being, um, put into League One and Two and now being the only sort of representation of, of, um, of black referees and it says here he's only the second black referee in the football league ever after your irony that's just that's pretty stunning to be honest with you i mean any organization you would think there'd be like a, a should be a high turnover i mean someone like mike dean who's refereed over 500 games for me that shouldn't be because he's setting his ways now I know referees are supposed to have no bias whatsoever, but of course they have some sort of bias to some clubs. Like, so if like fans have abused uh, Mike Dean, he's going to remember that. He's a hundred percent going to remember that, and he's going to be like, right, you know, Mike Dean. You know, we know Mike Dean. He wants to make everything about himself. Mike Dean is the sort of person that, you know, he is literally all about Mike Dean, and. Josh, you said something really <laughs> just sparked my, my, uh, my interest where you said it's really weird how none of these referees support Premier League clubs. That's absolute bullshit. Like every single referee that's in the Premier League always supports these lower league teams, you know, that come from the West Country <laughs> or up north or something like that. That's absolute nonsense. On their flipping um on the application form, yeah, they'll say, Oh, yeah, I support Chamber Ravers or wherever like wherever it may it may go but you know there's some sort of uh bias there with referees and you have to ask the question there should be for me a higher turnover of referees because that will what's the word i'm looking for that will make ideas different yes the referees are supposed to referee to a set standard that the fa and the pgmol and the premier league set out these are the rules this is what you're supposed to follow 
but everyone will have their own interpretation of these rules. You know, there's certain decisions that, you know, just ridiculous. I can remember um, Granite Xhaka getting sent off uh, against, um, I can't remember who it was now, where he made a late, yeah, we made a challenge, uh, a late challenge, uh, stopped the guy running down the wing. Where that was a yellow card all day, but somehow he got a red for it. Uh, another player makes that sort of challenge, gets a yellow for it. You know, the, uh, not that kind of player, Carl. That's very true. <laughs> <laughs> but it's 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 just a bit of a joke. Where you know, how can a referee be in a job for over ten years? You know, surely there's got to be a turnover. And like you said, Josh, it's just like this old draconian boys' club yeah. where. Yeah. It shouldn't be. There should be, I don't know, there should be more. Yeah, it's like a footballer's career lasts till they're, what, we'll say on average, mid to late 30s. If a referee is starting at the same kind of age, getting their eye in, you might say they could continue up to their, about their 40s or so because they're not subjected to the same although they're putting in like the same kind of um like energy to run around the pitch and keep up with play they're not subjected to like the tackles or anything like that so the physical uh that yeah they're not as physical or the job isn't as demanding in that regard but yeah that you're looking at them and we've got referees in their 50s and you're thinking what uh, why what how are they still here and is it because there's nothing else for them to go on to? Is it that that's, that's blocking them? But as you say, something needs to kind of happen with that to kind of revamp that whole thing because it's it's not it's just a complete lack of diversity in that whole structure that I think is the big big flag in there, and why yeah. there isn't you know there's plenty of referees from anywhere. Why can't we bring those in to bring as we say? We're looking for the best people for the job. And at the moment, if you look down at that, there's definitely people that are better, probably in the UK, definitely outside the UK, that are refereeing at a higher standard that aren't white. Yeah, I have to agree with you. Right, I'm going to um, put everyone on the spot now because we're going to wrap up soon. And I'll come to you first, Drew. Um the FA have come to you and they said, Drew, you are in charge. You can make any changes that you want um, within the world of football. What are the changes that you would make within the world of football? I think it's just a, it's about education. Like like we said, it's, it's you, you can't force people into positions just on the basis of them, you know, being black, like, but you have to be able to give them opportunities that they're not getting. So, and that also kind of comes, so there's that sort of aspect of change. Like you have something like the Rooney rule, but it doesn't change anything really. Um, I don't want to do something like, you can't do something like you have to have a quota because I don't think that's right. You know what I mean? Like, because someone can come into a role and be completely, ill-suited for the job, but they've, they've gotten it just because they're black. I don't think that's right. You know, I don't think people deserve handouts just because of race, but I do think they should be able to have the opportunities they're clearly not getting. And part of that comes with education and understanding 
the differences of, of pathways that people of different races have to go through, the hoops they have to jump through. So if you're, as long as you level the playing field and it's totally solely on merit, which is clear that we've discussed before with the amount of corruption involved, you can't say that it's a level playing field from, from the bottom up. So you have to level the playing field, that's the first thing. I don't even know, I don't know enough about the FA scheme and, and, the, and the whole tiered system to, to know how to really go in and change that. I just know that whatever that would be, I would defer to you guys, that's gotta be leveled. Also, I feel like there's got to be an edu a real, honest education about race because it still hasn't happened. Things like kick it out are, are, are great, but even kick it out can only do so much. And you could argue that maybe they still even themselves need to do more. So you've got to, you have to have programs that aren't just about that sort of like faux education where you, you take like a course and they tell you like what's right and what's wrong, and then you're done in two hours. That's not about. That's not being educated. Do you know what I mean? Like understanding where like the roots of racial disparity the roots of where prejudice and racism comes from in the workplace in society in athletics if you, if you really try to get people to truly genuinely understand things that's how you kind of start change change starts from the bottom so you have to start it when people are younger you can't start trying to educate 50 year olds because they've made up their minds by now no amount of classes or courses or lectures are, are going to change their, their line of thinking You've got to start at grassroots level. It's the same way when you want to change the scope of how football players are trained, you train, you you, you make change at youth level and you work their way up. Like, like what, look what Germany did after, you know, 2000, things were a disaster. They changed their entire youth structure and now look how good Germany is again. So if you look at that in terms like this, it's just about educating. It really is. And then um, for me, I would say with education would come the understanding that you, you, you can't just look at somebody and write them off just because they're a different skin color than you are. So for me, I would I would change the way people are educated about race. That for me, and I, I could say the same thing about the United States too. So I think that for me would be the biggest thing. Agreed. Uh, Femi, what about yourself? What would uh, you change? Get myself off mute. Um, I, th I agree so much with what um, Drew said. I think education, I think also we need something to, you know, it's hard because you've seen so many different types of things try to happen, you know, kneeling down or, or you know, threatening to walk off or, or things like that. I would literally, you know, say, like the FA claim to say that people people have a right to walk off if they feel that they've been abused and they will not get in trouble for it. That's one of the things I would um, definitely introduce or, or say, you know, um, I think I would, um, I think there needs to be more voices of um, black voices in higher places. So in places like the FA, there has to be more voices. There has to be, you know, even if you've got players, ex-players that don't want to be managers, you know, you can have ex-players that they can put into their system who's going to do good. You know, we need, you know, you've got the, the PFA, you know, the another boys, <laughs> a boys club, isn't it? But the PFA needs to get rid of Gordon Taylor, is it? Gordon Taylor. Yeah. They need to, you know, find, you know, voices that will represent diversity of 
the players that they have. You know, we need to you need to see that. You know, I'm not saying you have to put a black person in charge, but you have to have black representation, black voices that matter at the top. You know, we have to get to that stage. You know, where we are, it's a it's an open field, and everyone is is allowed to speak. You know, their mind or speak freely. You know, not to have to to hold back or or think that they're going to lose their job. You know, if they say anything. You know, things like that. So, for me, yeah, I think representation. You have to open up representation at, at the very top. You have to. Your mutes. <laughs> Josh, what about yourself? Uh, that's all right. Uh, yeah, I was going to lead on from what Fabian said about the PFA. So what happened with the Clark Carlisle experiment that wasn't carried on and at least bringing, you know, I know he had a lot of demons and he's spoken about them generally, but you brought in a young, intelligent guy to, you know, the only way that as a person of color could show that he was intelligent is he had to go on bloody countdown i know what kind of like signal is that to prove to someone that you're intelligent is he had to go on to countdown and just show that he could do that and apparently that makes him an anomaly in the kind of mindset of everybody for kind of i'm sure there's plenty of other you know, in terms of black players, we've mentioned already that they don't get the lexicon just doesn't seem to give them the right adjectives that correctly describe their personalities. So I think that's a, a huge thing there that it just seems like they just fell completely backwards with that. But if we change something, I think education is great, but it almost seems like we're at the point where we almost need to shock especially the UK, back away. Because I, I felt like where we were going with race was we were getting the right way. But seeing things like even just the rise of anti-Semitism in the last couple of years, you know, almost it's almost white-on-white white racism, anti-Semitism, because of how big that community is in terms of how white it is. And... That you see that coming through again, and there's a lot of prejudice that is just being vocalized by a lot of communities now. And it is that point of I think we need to do something that shocks people back into, you know, self policing. That it seems like, you know, people manage to group together and push forward with views that aren't acceptable and we're just not able to police it in a way within our own communities because i think that's where a lot of lazy um responses come to it things like oh well i've never seen racism in my section in the stadium it's like well what what's the diversity you know are you just sitting with a bunch of white guys but you're probably not going to see it at that point uh compared to in other parts of the stadium, because we know racism is there uh, in every level. So I, that's where I, I feel there needs to be a big shock tactic and shock people back into light the protests. I think doing the the kneeling before uh, a game again, the famous MLS. 
I saw it coming out from FC Dallas, a uh, team I now closely follow in MLS again. They knelt before the anthem and got absolute pelters and had to come out and say, what the fuck are you doing to their fan base and saying, can you not see what the problem is here? And I know that's a wider debate for the whole, how Americans, yeah, how Americans see the flag and the anthem as a, yeah, exactly, as an other entity. (laughs) But there's got to be something, especially whilst there's no crowds in, that at least while the message isn't getting distorted by people saying, oh, but don't you feel bad for the fans that paid 50 quid to be in the stadium? But they're not in the stadium at the moment. So this seems like a perfect opportunity to be doing things like this, like protests, because the message doesn't get lost. Worst case scenario, you know, a team walks off. The only person that's losing money there are the broadcasters uh, and the clubs. They're losing the big money from there. The Premier League loses reputation. From a consumer point of view, okay, I don't get to see a game, but I flick over to another channel in that regard. If I'm so you know, alarmed by what I've seen, you could turn the TV off and not watch the game that now isn't happening. But it does seem like the right time to make those kind of gestures is behind closed doors because that message doesn't get lost. But Carl, what would you do as well? As your host, like you said, I think uh, the shock tactic needs to be implemented. I totally agree with Drew. I think um, education has to be, and not just for the for everyone, for the players, for the people on the boards, for the fans, everyone. Um, I would have an absolute zero tolerance, literally zero tolerance. Um, and sometimes, do you know what, fans, although you don't want to punish a whole club for one person's stupid actions, maybe that's the only way um, to get through to people. I know it's easy for me to sit here and say, oh, I would dock points if someone's, uh, if one person shouts out um, a a racial slur to a player. Uh, And I don't want to say that because you could have, stupid people that are dressed up in the opposite team's um, colours go get into a game, shout a racial slur, and then they uh, get points deduction. But uh, something more than what's happening now has to be done. I I definitely would educate people much, much more. And, you know, I... I'll be honest with you, I'm not a very big fan of the Kick It Out campaign because my mum always said to me, prevention is better than cure. And I don't feel Kick It Out do enough to prevent it. I feel they always get involved after the the effect. Whenever someone shouts out a racial slur or racism is a big topic, that's when you see Kick It Out come out and say, oh, we condemn this and blah, blah, blah. Wearing T-shirts for two weeks... Uh, out of the the season doesn't do anything you need to get ahead of the problem you know get into the clubs get them like every so often talk about a racial campaign don't just do it when some idiot in row 15 shouts out a racial slur to a player That, that, that doesn't do anything you have to prevent it before it actually happens so like whereas i understand the sentiment of kick it out i don't like 
that organization because they don't do enough. And that's just my personal opinion. You will, you're involved in the FA. You are at the at the at the, the right what, what's the word looking for? You are at the right position to get ahead of any uh anything that happens like that. And I just I just feel that to myself, they just don't do enough. It's the same as the reason why John Barnes is on TV. You only ever see John Barnes on TV when something racial happens, and that's when Sky News or someone wants to bring him on TV and say, oh, John, what do you think about this person and that racial slur? They never have John Barnes on TV any other time. But for me, it's it's got to be get ahead of the problem rather than talk about the problem after it's happened. Yeah, it just seems like crumbs. Like, we'll give them this little bit and that'll be enough kind of thing. Yeah. You know? like, that's kind of what it comes across. So uh, just real fast. So I just... I told you I have a friend who works at the NBA. She just said that the Bucks are not leaving the locker room and they're staging a sit-in until they speak to the attorney general to demand that the cop is arrested for shooting the innocent person. So that's kind of like that shock value that you wanted to see where it's not just about protesting the game. It's they're protesting with an action. Like they're not leaving until you arrest this person because there's no reason why you shouldn't be arresting him. So that's kind of like, and all the NBA games are going to be canceled tonight, all three or four of them. Yeah, we 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 chose a good night to do so this. So that's <laughs> kind of, yeah, that's that's kind of what you that's what you want to see. Like, it's, all the NBA games have been postponed. I want I want to actually read something. I I, I retweeted it from um sure. uh Kerry Champion, who is uh, she was a host on First Take before. Um, she was talking about she said something which really interests me, which said the business of basketball is about the business of fairness to all people. In other words, if this country continues to shoot and kill unarmed black men, we, the black men, will not entertain you. So you cannot escape the reality of racism. And I, I find that really interesting because these are the people that are, you know, unharmed being killed that you read comments about, you know, he resisted arrest or you know, you, you see comments like that and you, you, you sit there and you think, but all the sports that you watch, I'm, I'm just keeping it in sports, all the sports that you watch with, you know, all these black men who feel like that could have been me that that happened to, is that the comments that you would have left? So why should I, you know, continue to entertain, you know, people who have that kind of mindset, which is, well, you resisted arrest, so the punishment should be that you die. I, I just don't get it. And I think... This is a really, I think we're gonna. This is a really important statement that's been made in sports tonight because I think it will give power to a lot of sportsmen across all different sports. Because I can already see the comments across all different sports, um, just on Twitter alone. You know, people are you know ready to 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 do something different. You know, they they've knelt, they've put logos on their shirt, they've done all of this. So what's the next logical step and when i read comments on twitter i think people need to be very mindful that the thing that you complain about you know people need why are they kneeling you know this is our sport get politics out of our sport and, and all of these things and you just think these people are entertaining you but they're also human they have feelings so have some common sense you know i think we need to you know, it's a really um, important night, I would say, in sports. Yeah, it's something that, you know, it's, as much as, you know, you want to keep politics out of sport, it, unfortunately, what happens 
you know, in the world is ingrained in everyday life, whether it be sports, whether it be politics, work, whatever. Um, like most black people, I'm tired. I'm tired of things happening. You know, I don't live in America and Drew, I'm, I'm sure you're probably even more tired of these things happening um, in the world. And, you know, it's, it's creeping into football and you, and you, you don't want it. You know, football is, uh, you just want to turn up and be entertained by the people that you love. You know, I want to, you know, I want Arsenal to make me happy. I want Arsenal to piss me off. You know, no one has the ability to annoy me as much as Arsenal do. And the fact that, you know, I would love to come on this podcast and just talk about, you know, Arsenal and talk about, you know, the good things and the bad things that they do. But, you know, a fact of the matter is that something we've had to do a podcast like this because it's ingrained in all of us, whether you be black or white and whether you think it doesn't affect you or not, it's in society. And it's it's sad and, and, and annoying that you know, there's, there's, there's no quick fix. There's no solution. You know, what do we do? I mean, I, my hat goes off to, and I commend all the NBA players that are, are doing a, a, a walkout per se, or if that's what you want to call it, you know, and I, and I think to myself, would that ever happen here? Would that ever happen in, in the Premier League? Honestly, I, I can't see it. I, I can't see a group of uh, everyone, in the, all the players, all the teams banding together and saying, you know what, we're not going to play because of X happening. I mean, yeah, all the kneeling, you can do that while the fans are not in the stadium, as Femi said. But when they come back into the stadium, are they going to still do it? No. So so what's going to change? What are you going to do? And you can have all the slogans and all the uh, wear all the T-shirts and have all the badges that you want in the world. But action needs to be taken. Change needs to happen. How that change is taken and how that action is done, who knows? I think that's um, for people who are much higher up in the, in the league and who get paid much more than us. Anyway, I'm going to wrap it up there. Um, I want to say a massive, massive thank you to Drew, Femi and Josh for uh, coming on and talking about this subject. Like I said, it's an uncomfortable conversation, but I feel like it's a conversation that needed to be had. You know, we could have gone on for hours talking about these subjects, but it's, um, yeah, we've we've got our sort of points of view out and, you know, I'm just happy that it's happened that we've managed to talk about it. So, guys, much appreciated. Thank you for uh, coming on. Thank you. And uh, ABW will be back with a podcast uh, very, very soon. So, guys, take care. See you later. As soon as I scored that goal, I was fucking livid. Splendid business. Get down, dog.